this is the beginning of part two. And uh, if you're wondering why the ending, why our ending does not acknowledge that we uh, we did a two-parter, is because I was too lazy to record a new ending for this. But thank you so much for joining us for part two, and uh, we hope you guys enjoy our conversation. Uh, all right. So, Licorice Pizza. What's this movie about? It is a slice of life story taking place in California, in the Valley, I believe, about mm -hmm. this 15-year-old child actor who's trying to get this 25-year-old uh, girl to fuck him, or woman to fuck him. Mm -hmm. And every boomer I know loves it. <laughs> um, so, listen, Paul Thomas Anderson, um, I like some of his movies. I am... Not as big a fan of his work as a lot of other people are in the film. Well, no, that's the thing, though, world. is that with with Paul Thomas Anderson, everyone has one movie of his that they really like, but it's not the same for almost anybody. Yeah, that's true. Like the one I really like would probably be uh, Punch Drunk Love, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I know a and lot I of have people. Two... Are... Sorry. Go ahead. I've and I have two that I really like. One is Boogie Nights, and the other is The Master. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so let me let me uh, just say that when I saw the trailer for this, and you know, they obviously it just shows you like scenes of them talking, scenes of them arguing. Uh, showcasing the sexual chem or not sexual chemistry. Let me, let's don't know. No, let's, no, let's, let's 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 say do that. let's say the romantic chemistry between the two leads. And I go. remember after the trailer ended, I was like, I was like, oh, this is a heartwarming like uh, like love story between two teenagers. And then mm -hmm. I read a review of the film, and <laughs> <laughs> I think the first sentence was. Uh, a 15-year-old uh, a 15-year-old boy named uh, Gary Valentine, played by uh, Cooper Hoffman, uh, tries to win the affections of a 25-year-old woman named uh, Alana, played by Alana Haim. And immediately I was like, oh, this must be a typo. They, they, they said here that he's 15. And no, no, that's... Uh, that's the thing. And you might be asking, guys, why are you getting so hung up on this? This is weird. I know. I know this yeah. is weird. Like, like, and, and here's the thing. The movie doesn't treat it as weird. So here's the problem with the, here's my problem. Okay. We'll, we'll talk about the actual merits of the movie after we deal with this giant, giant elephant in the room. Yeah. Because, like, there, there's this, there's, there's kind of this, trend amongst people where if you watch anything that presents a questionable ethical dilemma as fine i know a lot of people get really uncomfortable about watching it because they'll fear they feel like they're somewhat endorsing it um, well a good example honestly was uh uh call me by your name yeah that's a good example yeah. which by the way call me by your name has much ha has much clearer sexual ethics uh and much more straightforward sexual ethics than licorice pizza. Very straightforward. Yeah, Jesus. yeah. In the sense, in the sense of like, you never feel like you're you're watching something that is explicitly shown as good, like as a moral good. Mm -hmm. Whereas yeah. in licorice pizza, it's considered a, a victory that they. 
spoiler, they end up dating. <laughs> the film ends with them dating and committed to each other. And make no mistake, this is a 25-year-old woman dating a 15-year-old boy. He's still in high school. They make it a point that he's still in high school. <laughs> oh, my God. Here, here's my thing, too. What's really weird is that the age difference is large. A. A, it's, a, a it's an illegal... No, hold on. A, it's an illegal age difference. And B, it's a large illegal age difference. And C, it's extra uncomfortable because somehow the girl who's older is less emotionally mature than the boy who's way younger, which makes it worse. Uh, no, they're about the same. I wouldn't say he's more emotionally mature than her. He he, he gives off a, 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 a facade of being more put together than her because he goes like oh i'm a businessman oh, oh i'm a child actor well that's the thing it's like he's he is also he is like trying to do more things and she's literally just going around for the ride yeah yeah um but it's it's just really weird to watch because the movie doesn't confront it at all even though it's like such an obvious thing right like like it's i don't know i don't know but yeah. Let's just say this. If watching a film where a 25-year-old girl, where a 25-year-old woman dating a 15-year-old boy is is endorsed, when it, well, yeah, the movie's endorsing it's, it. The movie is no, endorsing it. Yeah. Um, if that makes you uncomfortable, then, yeah, don't watch this movie. You, you're not missing anything if you've never watched this movie, honestly. Truly, you're not. You're truly not. I'm just... You know what this is? I, this is uh, Paul Thomas Anderson doing... Um, His childhood. Well, no. Well, yes. But it, it's him doing uh, Dazed and Confused. Except in California. Mm -hmm. This is Dazed and Confused, but in California. <laughs> and with a illegal uh, relationship between an adult and a minor. <laughs> um, so, yeah. If, if, if you don't care for that type of film, watching Dazed and Confused, or you'd rather just watch Dazed and Confused, then, yeah, just watch Dazed and Confused. Uh, with that being said, what did I like about this movie? Uh, I, there is a sequence in this film. So, in the middle of the film, in like right before the, also, I don't feel like this film has a traditional three-act structure, so I, so I'm just going to say in the middle of the film, uh, mm. uh, Cooper Hoffman's character, uh, Gary, decides to open a waterbed business. Mm -hmm. And uh, they deliver a waterbed to famed Hollywood producer uh, John Peters. So for those that don't mm -hmm. know, John Peters is the infamous producer that wanted spiders and didn't want Superman to fly or wear tights. In the, in the famous Kevin Smith uh, uh, talk uh, that he did, like, he did like a tour around colleges, and he told a story about how how he was hired to write a draft of an upcoming Superman movie, and John Peters, who was the producer of the Tim Burton Batman films, was, a, was going to be the producer on this project. And he basically made these insane requests. You can find the video. You can find the video of him talking about it on YouTube. He's also talked. There's also a great documentary on it. Yeah, for the record. Yeah, uh, uh, directed by the late great. Um, oh my God! I cannot believe I'm blanking on his name. Um, the other factor is, is that this director famous no sorry director this producer famously dated Barbara Streisand for a minute when she was very famous. 
so the, the, the documentary is called The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened? It's directed by this great, like, like this godfather of nerds, uh, John Schnepp, who unfortunately is not with us anymore. Um, mm -hmm. Give it a watch. It is one of the, it, it has interviews with Kevin Smith, with Tim Burton. Um, John Peters is interviewed as well. It's a fantastic documentary. Yeah. And uh, you, you get to see, like, what could have been, because Nick Cage was tagged to play uh, Kyle L. Superman in this, in this film. But in any case, in any case, John Peters is, this is who John Peters is. So uh, in the 70s, he was, as, as my co-host talked about, he got into Hollywood because he was uh, Barbara Streisand's hairdresser and eventual lover. And he is played with perfection by Bradley Cooper, which yep. this was the role I thought he should have been nominated for. <laughs> uh, sure, sure. Uh, so uh, in the middle of the film, uh, Gary and Alana and their buddies, who are all also 15, uh, deliver and prepare a waterbed for uh, John Peters. Mm -hmm. uh, some things happen where they decide to... Uh, where they decide to kind of leave without finishing the project, and in fact, I do believe they tried to they they flood his mansion, and mm -hmm. uh, they drive away in the del in the delivery truck where they delivered the bed. So this is like, this is like right smack dab in the middle of the gasoline crisis, the oil crisis that happened in the seventies, uh, mm -hmm. and they're driving a delivery truck that has no gas, and mm -hmm. eventually, uh, Alana, who's obviously the only one who can drive this commercial vehicle. Barely, it's implied at barely, first. Barely, uh, They run out of gas, and her solution is to basically, basically put the, put the delivery truck in reverse and have them push it down these series of hills to get to the gas station. It's literally riding backwards, almost falling on wheels backwards down the hills. Yes. This sequence is so nerve-wracking and stress-inducing that even though I don't really care for the film, or, you know, I, I really don't care for the film. I know what you mean. Uh, yeah. I thought this was one of the best action sequences of 2021. You are literally on the edge of your seat thinking to yourself, like, oh my god, these people are going to get in a horrible crash and they're going to die. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. Right when you think they're about to succeed, John Peters pops up. And a whole new level of stress is added to that sequence. Yeah. It is, it is without a doubt, one of the best directed sequences I've seen of 2021. It is done all with um, little to no dialogue, no music score whatsoever. All you hear is just the, the silent, uh, the, all you hear is like the California night. You hear some, you know, the crickets chirping and stuff. And you just hear the, the wheels rolling, but no engine on. You, know, you just hear just these wheels rolling as the thing's going down faster and faster and faster. Yeah, that, that scene, I was literally like, my palms were sweaty. I was on the edge of my seat. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm about to witness. I'm about to witness these poor, young, dumb idiots crash and hurt themselves. So I have to say what, for me, I, I'm mostly on your wavelength with this movie. It really, I was uncomfortable for most of it. That being said, though, so, okay, here's, okay. Overall, the movie made me very uncomfortable because it was condoning this very inappropriate relationship. Short of them, short of the movie that showing them having sex, which, spoiler alert, they do not in the movie. Thank God. 
Thank God. I was actually, I was very worried that was going to happen. I'm like, if they have sex, I'm, I'm walking out. This is not, this is not okay. But A, the movie's gorgeous. Like the cinematography is beautiful. It is. In yeah, the movie. I agree. The other thing is, this is an example, and you bring this up with Bradley Cooper's role. All of the smaller performances are are what are the best parts of the movie. They're fan fucking fantastic. They're like there's this amazing scene with Benny Softy of the Softy Brothers. There's this dinner sequence he's having. Oh that is yeah, 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 yeah. Really remarkable. So like, okay, let me set the scene real quick. Um, uh, Anna is at one point working for a local politician who's running for mayor. Who, uh, uh, Joel Walks. Yeah, and this is based on a real person. Yeah. This is a real person who ran. And she kind of has an interest in this man. Like, yes, she's trying to... Re- she's realizing that she... Because the only redeeming aspect is that even though Ara is involved in this relationship, she is becoming aware that this is not okay. Or she at least has some understanding that this relationship is not healthy. Even though in the end, spoiler alert, they sort of agree to stay together, it's she at least she, has some awareness it, it, it that this is... It literally ends with her saying, I love you, Gary Valentine. Yeah, which is awful. But she at least throughout the movie has some awareness that this is not okay. Like, she's there's an understanding there. So, she, at one point, is dating, kind of dating this guy that got her the job with this campaign for... This mayor for this mayor election. <clears throat> Excuse me. And literally, well, but she's trying to also date the actual candidate. And at one point, she's invited to dinner by this candidate. And she gets dolled up and she goes out and she goes to this restaurant and she sits down and there's this other man there. And. She's just sort of confused because she thought this was a date, but maybe it really wasn't. And then the conversation starts happening. And who plays this other man? It was someone we recognized. Um, it was... Um, let me see. Okay. Uh, the character's name was Matthew. Um, Joseph Cross. Uh, okay. Oh my gosh. I, I believe he he played the he played the role of the son in Jack Frost. That's <laughs> Jack right. Frost was that so, uh, Michael Keaton movie where he dies and comes back as a snowman. Uh, yes. The, this this actor uh, who's by the way Joseph Cross was amazing in this film. For he had like maybe what ten minutes of screen time and yeah. blew me away. Um, but yeah, he uh, uh, Joseph Cross plays the uh, the the lover of the of. Um, of of Joel Walks, uh, lover so, well, here's the thing, though. Well, here's the thing. Though. Okay, so yeah, as Al, as Al said, um, it's okay. She sits down at this dinner, and he starts. There's this other guy there, and they start talking, and you start to realize that the mayoral candidate is a closeted homosexual, and he invited Aura to con- Alana to convince what the character's name is Alana. Oh, he invited Alana over to convince audiences, not to convince audiences, to convince other people at the at the restaurant there, there was, and possible journalists. There was there was like a spy of like one of the other uh, campaigns watching him. 
Yeah. That this was, that was the girlfriend of, of his boyfriend. Yeah. And the conversation they have, though, the emotional tension in that is so powerful and palpable. You can literally cut it with one of the butter knives at the restaurant. It's so intense and so well done. And it's so sad, too. Like, it's the most powerful scene in the goddamn movie. But that's the thing is, that's the height of that example of how this movie's strengths are in this in the subtle moments, but because the overall main plot of the movie is so uncomfortable, you just can't enjoy it. Yeah. Um, another good example, I think that one every the part everybody's talking about is that older woman who's like, she's like a she's a, a talent agent, and she's sitting with, with the girl, and she's just like she's smoking, and she constantly pick up the picks up the phone randomly. Everyone talks about how her performance was like incredible, and it was very good, but it was like maybe ten minutes of the movie, if that. No, no, it was shorter. It was probably like five. It was not a long. It was not a long scene. Okay, okay, but like that's. Huh. I don't know. It's just like. Yeah, yeah. It's like, the, sorry. Let me start over. So, it's just, this movie had little drops of really great moments, but because overall you're really uncomfortable, you just can't get on the movie's bandwidth, or the, the movie's wavelength mm-hmm. at all. No, 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 I get that, I get that. Um, Alright, so I, I guess that's all we have to say about Licorice Pizza. Um, and after that is Nightmare Alley. So... I've already said my piece about Nightmare Alley. Um, I I saw the original 1947 uh, film. I I'm not gonna say I preferred that movie, but you know, I, you know, if you want to see a gritty noir, what better gritty noir to watch than one made in the 40s when noir was king, baby? Um, again, I I don't think it's a bad film. Um, it's definitely not a top shelf Guillermo del Toro project. For my taste, for, for my, in my opinion, um, I do not understand uh, why people were saying like, "Oh, Bradley Cooper should get a nomination for this." Um, although all the all the performances in this film are fine, but there was never one that stood me out. Well, actually, Ro- Rooney Mara's performance as the love interest was actually was compelling, but outside of that, um, you know, I I don't think this was. Something like I know people were saying like, oh, Kate Blanchett should be nominated. Um, uh, you know, I yeah, I just don't have a lot to say about the film. So, so what I'll say is that, and I touched on this a little earlier. I was just so happy that a, that that Hollywood made a movie like this. That it was a big budget or pretty big budget film. That was a film noir with Carney's mysticism and psychiatry and fake ghosts and weird other shit all rolled into one. I'm so happy that existed. And before learning that there was another movie of this made, I loved that in my perspective, Guillermo del Toro picked a very odd book and that's the book he chose to adapt. I really liked that and I respected that too. 
So that's what I think. That's what I really liked about this movie. And I also feel you can tell by watching this movie that all the actors and crew had a great time on set. Like they really, you can tell they loved making this movie, both in just what they gave in it and like what this movie offered. Um, I also just loved that. I just loved it, what this movie was doing and that it just, it was a, it was a Hollywood movie that just was so out there and was well received too. So I think that's why I really appreciated this movie. And yes, I am a sucker for Guillermo del Toro movies, though I don't love every one of his movies and he has strengths and weaknesses and he has things that he isn't very good at. But when, when, when del Toro hits, he hits. And while I don't think this was a home run, he got three out of the four bases for me on this. Mm. Um, And I do think one thing that makes Bradley Cooper such a great actor is his eyes say so much. And I know a lot of actors do that. And a lot it's said that a lot of good actors do that. But you look at his eyes and he says so much with such subtlety. It's really incredible. And, and he really turned that all up in this movie. Um, and I even loved the bit roles that were played by impressive character actors and B actors throughout. Um, I just love the world of this movie, and I think that's why I enjoyed it so much. But notably, this did not end up in my top ten because it had faults. It's the third act really does slip a lot. I think I enjoyed the ending, but there's a large chunk that slips, like when they leave the carnival. I first like it, but then just the ending feels so haphazard and it doesn't work. So yeah, there's there's that. There's its weakness. Not sorry, not the ending, but the last one of the last scenes. But then it recovers for an ending that I thought was quite powerful. So yeah, was it my favorite of the nominees? No, but I still had a good time with it. Um, yeah. So one thing I will say, uh, I thought Willem Dafoe in this film was a lot of fun because he's like he plays like the like the head like the head of the carnies, and. Uh, his accent and just the way he acts is just so like just so like from a different era that i i actually did appreciate that um well willem dafoe is is even in the bad movies he's been in he's good yeah um but and uh ron pullman was fine but i, I would and richard jenkins yeah i would say david stratham who played uh who played the god what do you what do you call them uh some some bombulous basically he plays like the uh he plays like the carney who teaches him all the tricks on how to like Mm -hmm. like how how to trick people into believing that he's psychic um he his turn was really good and he's only in the movie for like 10 minutes and it's all like in the first act um Mm -hmm. but he he was also quite good um but yeah it it was a movie I, i i didn't regret watching but I just don't really have much to say about it myself. All right. So the movie that everyone was expecting to win Best Picture, that everyone was expecting to like sweep in all the Guild Awards, uh, Netflix's The Power of the Dog, directed by Jane mm-hmm. Campion. So I like the movie. And if you like Westerns, but you like like deconstructed Westerns, this is a movie to watch. You will, you will enjoy watching this. That being said, 
it is not paced like a western oh no 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 this movie is paced more like like a almost a mumblecore yeah yeah mumblecore like you think well what's happening um not much is happening but then a lot is happening and then a lot of stuff happens off screen but um you know like like the plot really really kicks up like right when the third act hits and so also i have to say i know i've said this a few times me saying the cinematography is gorgeous this is some of the best digital cinematography i've seen in a long time yeah holy shit and you actually pointed out because you watched this movie on a higher resolution screen than I did, and you've told me that there's shit you see in that version than you that you don't if you watch it on a lesser screen. Yeah. So, um, right before I get to what the what what it's about, um, it's directed by Jane Campion, who's who is a very acclaimed film director, uh, who was the first woman to be nominated for best director uh, back in uh, the. Uh, uh, what was what what I, I don't I don't remember the edition of the Academy Awards, but it was uh, it was for the film uh, The Piano, uh, starring uh, um, oh my God, I cannot believe I am forgetting her name. Um, Anna Paquin. Uh, well, not just Anna Paquin, Holly Hunter uh, won Best mm-hmm. Actress for that film, Anna Paquin won Best Supporting Actress for that film. Uh, it also stars Har- Harvey Keitel and uh, Sam Neill. Um, in fact, I do believe this this film because this came out the same year as Jurassic Park, uh, the piano in Jurassic Park is what made Sam Neill like a household name uh, back in 1993. So without a doubt, with without a doubt, yeah. Um, so, Power of the Dog. Power of the Dog is about uh, this uh, this this very tough guy rancher cowboy played by benedict cumberbatch and his not such a tough guy uh brother played by jesse plemons and jesse plemons meets this uh, widow and her son uh widow is uh, played by kirsten dunce and the son is played by cody smith mcphee who you may know as um the the child from the uh, the american film let me in which was a remake of the swedish film let the right one in and he was also the the ch- played the child, the son in the road, and he was also the teenage version of Nightcrawler in um... X Men Apocalypse. Yes. Um, so anyway, uh, 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 Jesse Plemons' character uh, uh, falls in love with the widow and marries her, and brings her to live with him and his brother, and uh, Benedict Cumberbatch begins to uh, emotionally abuse. Uh, this poor woman, and and it's really screwed up. Yeah. the ways the, the in, in the ways he does. Yeah, it. and her son decides to take matters into his own hands. So this film basically is a look at like what some would call toxic masculinity, as represented by this lead character played by Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, here's the irony. So yes, he is. He's very much a toxic individual, and. He, the way he presents himself is because oh well I was I'm a I'm a born and bred uh, cowboy. As the film continues on, you begin to learn that him and his brother weren't weren't born as cowboys. They weren't 
born into a rancher family. Uh, they were both in their youth like taught all, everything they know about ranching and herding by this uh, by this man known as uh, Buffalo. What was his name? Oh, God, I I apologize. I can for the life of me, I cannot remember. Um, da, 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 da. It wasn't not Buffalo Bill, was it? Oh, the, the Bronco name of the Henry. person? Bronco Henry, yes. So they were... There's no way it's Buffalo Bill. No, no, no. I apologize. I apologize. You know, Buffalo Bill, Bronco Henry, this this lionized man who taught the brothers everything they knew. They There were basically these rich kids from New England who somehow ended up in Montana. Which, what's amazing is that little fact there is never officially stated fully. Yeah. But you figure it you figure it out through really impressive context clues. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and Bronco Henry is is deceased by the time we enter this story, so he's only ever referenced. We never get a flashback with a performer playing him. We never all we get about Bronco Henry is what the brothers tells us. More specifically, what uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's lead character tells us about him. Yeah. Um, and we come to learn that Bronco Henry is kind of taught uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's characters uh, all these toxic attributes that he imposes on other people, on his brother, mm-hmm. on his brothers, on his sister-in-law, and on his, um, his uh, step-nephew, I guess, I guess is, yes. if that's a thing. And um, if so, I yeah, also it's, a, it's a study yeah. on... on... Go, go, go on, go on, sorry. <laughs> so all I was going to say is we also quickly figure out that um, Benedict's character and Bronco Henry, they were they were lovers. They were lovers. Yeah, pretty much. Um, we we come to learn that uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's character, um, which by the way his name is Phil Burbank, and Jesse Plemons' character is George Burbank. We 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 come to realize that this cowboy Phil is a is a very closeted and potentially self loathing homosexual man who had a relationship with Bronco Henry. Uh, we learned this like right at the, I believe, like right at the middle of the second act. And uh, Cody Smith McPhee's character, called Peter, uh, who is temporarily staying at the ranch to visit his mother, finds out. And he decides to use this against uh, Phil Burbank. <laughs> and, but yeah, this is basically a study on toxic masculinity, a study on like internalized homophobia um basically basically like kind of showing you like kind of deconstructing like that rowdy tough and rowdy cowboy archetype and showing you like oh no this was probably harmful for a lot of people Mm -hmm. um it's it's a but here's the thing it's never on the nose as something like don't look up was Mm -hmm. um its message is very subtle and I think what 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 got what made this film get so much buzz was the simple fact that a it's gorgeous, b it's uh, it's truly a deconstruction of the western, but most importantly that this was this was I believe Jane Campion's like first big splash like she she's been making a lot of films since the piano, but this was I believe like like her first like. Big, big, because this was an expensive film to make. 
you know they didn't shoot in Montana they shot in New Zealand um, and it, it was basically this is basically like her epic you know like the piano the piano is also her epic but those are her making makes basically making something that's epic in scope because I'm sorry like any film that has hundreds upon hundreds of 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 steer in frame it, it's an epic well i also love that they point out that some of the best shots are the ones with the cattle in them like that's what everyone talks about yeah. as far as being shot really well which they're not wrong it is it's gorgeous also it's just it i know earlier when we talked about king richard we kind of derided about these films that only exist to showcase acting ability um this mm-hmm. film does does showcase acting ability um, mm-hmm. But in a positive way, like Kirsten Dunst. Mm-hmm. Kirsten Dunst has always been known as a as a capable actress, but this was probably her first role in a while where she really like she really really like went all in on the this last, role. The last time I saw her really get into a role like this or into a role significantly was Melancholy. Yeah, exactly what I was while. thinking. Yeah, exactly what I was thinking, and she does it so well. She, the best part about it, she does not oversell being a victim of emotional abuse. Uh, mm-hmm. she doesn't she doesn't go she doesn't go into over the top hysterics. It's all very internalized. That's the one thing you should know about this film. It's very subtle. So everything's internalized. The emotional mm-hmm. abuse Jesse Plemons as George Burbank suffers from his older brother Phil um, is also very internalized. So it's like you said earlier, it's all about the eyes. And mm-hmm. you're you're kind of like, "Oh wow, yeah, there's a lot happening." Um there there's this ingenious sequence where, like, on the surface, it's it's Benedict Cumberbatch's character, Phil. It's Phil playing, uh, or joining and playing music with, uh, with Kristen Dunst, who plays Rose. She's playing the piano, and he joins her in playing with the, the banjo. But underneath all that, he's basically goading her into... Like she, she admits that she's kind of rusty in playing the piano, and mm-hmm. he totally breaks her resolve when he just effortlessly starts playing like this the song the piece of music she's trying to play on the banjo at like such a high tempo that she just stops and just the look of defeat in her eyes just tells you so much so so much. Well, that's what's amazing is that like. So truly. My favorite, my favorite moments in the movie were the really random ones, other than the the shots of the cattle, which I thought were obviously incredible. Um, when they referenced that Cody Smith McPhee's character, that his father hung himself, and they really delve into that in a very strange way. Um, I also really, I love the reveal of the past. It's like you realize there's a. When I was watching this, I realized there's a movie we will never see. There's a whole other story. It's not the past. It's a legit other movie with its own plot points that happened before this, and it will never be made. And that's what I love is it's so perfectly referenced to that. Like, I really wanted to see the story beforehand, but at the same time, I didn't feel like I was missing anything. And that's what this movie did really well is you wanted it, but you didn't need it in the past. And like that's a hard balance to maintain. And credit to Jane Campion, who maintained it really well in this. Yeah, 
Yeah. Like, really well. And she won the, she finally won the Best Director Oscar for this film. Rightfully so. I think out of all the, all the nominees, uh, she was the strongest candidate. She was the strongest nominee. Um, I I take that back, actually. I think Steven Spielberg was the strongest uh, nominee. Um, Sure. We'll get to that, though. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll get to that. But, but, but we're not we're not denying that she deserved this. There's no dispute that she earned this. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so yeah. Uh, now last best picture nominee, West Side Story. Now I must interrupt and admit, I did not watch this one yet. I should, I want to, but I did not. And let me just. I'll let you talk about this one the most, but let me just say, from the very first moment I heard that West Side Story was being remade, I just felt icky about it. That's the only way Mm -hmm. I can put it. I got the same feeling I got when I found out Ben-Hur was being remade. I was very upset. I was like, it's unnecessary, not needed. And I was honestly disappointed when I learned that Steven Spielberg was not only doing it, but like really pushing for it. He really wanted to. And I understand we'll get to your thoughts on the movie, and I understand that. But I just felt this sinking pit in my stomach about this being done. It just did not feel necessary. So I can't say that that's the only reason why I haven't seen it, but it's a big one for me. Because the original, which I don't think you'll deny... The original is such a classic for a reason. It's such an iconic piece of Hollywood cinema for a reason. And it's in its own right, the original is a fantastic movie. And I just really felt that it's best to let that sleeping dog lie. So that's why I haven't seen it yet. That being said, well, I think see, eventually I will. See, here's the thing. The Ben-Hur remake was directed from the guy who did uh, Wanted. And this was directed by Steven Spielberg. I understand. I understand. But Steven Spielberg, who, by the way, let me be clear, I will never achieve in my lifetime what Spielberg has. He is a master director and one of the greatest living directors ever, period, full stop. He is the director of my childhood, and I am in no way going to say that Steven Spielberg is a master of his craft and always will be to the day he dies. But that being said, see, see, his his later movies I have not enjoyed as much. (laughs) See, we we can have a whole episode dedicated to Steven Spielberg later on. But uh, let let me just say this: he actually made a better movie (laughs) than the original. Um, his take on West Side Story. So, so make no mistake, he's not remaking the original film he is readapting the broadway musical um and listen i'm not the one to get all up in arms over like past uh you know injustices or things done in in you know earlier the early years of hollywood that wouldn't fly today in today's culture and society um but let's call a spade a spade uh, the original West Side Story has brown face. It does. Like, no mm-hmm. ifs, ands, or buts about it. And one of the reasons why Steven Spielberg was really pushing for this was that he wanted to cast 
actual authentic uh, Puerto, Puerto Rican his, or Hispanic, pe Hispanic descent people to portray the roles of, of everyone who's in the Sharks. And he kind of tweaked some things. So I believe in the original, in the original musical and in the original film, the uh, the sharks were were just another gang. They were they were mm -hmm. a gang to 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 just uh, commit crime and be ruffians. But in mm -hmm. Spielberg's take, the sharks are actually like a, a group of of young men who want to protect their community from the jets, who are the ruffians. You know, kind of the original as they were in the original film. What Steven Spielberg does in West Side Story is that he adds, and I know this may sound crazy, he adds a naturalism to the story. Uh, his, he, you still have the iconic Spielberg long shot. In fact, it's the first shot of the film. But the entire world of that film looks looks legitimately like how how uh, New York City looked in that era. You know, it, you, you don't feel like you're watching like a Disney-fied production. Um, uh, let me mention a, a famous Stephen Sondheim musical known as Into the Woods. And if you've seen the Disney adaptation, it's not Into the Woods. It's into this CGI green screen abomination thing where nothing feels real. But everything, Agreed. But everything feels real in this musical. And <laughs> like having actual Latinos... Uh, play these roles you're like oh wow it now it doesn't go all the way um i would say sometimes i feel like spielberg you know i remember speaking with a friend of mine who talked about that and my friend is puerto rican talked about how like showing the authenticity of the puerto rican experience in new york city was great but it just it was missing that extra bit of authenticity that would have been that would have that would have been given if the film was written by someone who was Puerto Rican or mm -hmm. from Latin or from Hispanic descent, or uh, directed by a Puerto Rican or somebody of Hispanic descent. Um, now I disagreed with them. I thought it went, I, I thought it went all the way. But they they felt, and again they were Puerto Rican, so they might have more ground to say this. They felt like it didn't go far enough. But I, I do think, I, I, I did, for my part, think it did. Now, uh, let me just say, Rachel Zegler is going to be a star. She's already, right now, shooting to be Disney's Snow White with uh, yes, Gal Gadot as true. the Evil Queen. Uh, Ariana DeBose, DeBose is going to be a star. Uh, she, she was in Hamilton. She's in this. She won the Best Supporting Actress Oscar for this, the same one that Rita Moreno won all those years ago, uh, Mike, Mike Fox, Faust, 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 I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, uh, he plays Riff, okay. oh my gosh, that guy is going to go places, like, his Riff, straight up, his Riff is better than the Riff in the original film, in the original 19th really? yeah, his Riff is probably going to be the Riff that all others are compared to. Um, he feels real. You you believe his sense of alienation. You believe the 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 sense of betrayal he feels that Tony won't join them and kicking out the sharks. Like you you 
feel it. So he was the one, like, when I heard that he didn't get nominated, like, for Best Supporting Actor, I was like, what? But he was as good as Rift as Ariana DeBose was as Anita. But anyway. And uh, uh, David Alvarez as Bernardo. Uh, he's, uh, he plays uh, Maria's older brother and Anita's boyfriend. So, little known fact. He was... He was. He was. Uh, I don't. I don't know if he was like the original Billy Elliot in Broadway, but he was. When he was a kid, he was one of the three, three child actors who played Billy Elliot in a production of Billy Elliot, and the, the casting director, because they could not find anyone, to to play Bernardo, was like, there was this kid who played Billy Elliot. I wonder what he did and. David Alvarez basically uh, basically left acting, left theater acting, joined the military, like joined the military and you know uh, retired, and I, I don't know exactly what he was doing, but then he got a call and he's like, hey, like I think like his former agent called him and said like, hey, uh, Spielberg's remaking West Side Story and they want you to uh, audition for Bernardo, so yeah, David Alvarez he's going places. Um, the only the only known uh, actors in this film, Ansel Elgort and uh, Corey Stoll and obviously Rita Moreno, they're fine. They're good. They, um, I know a lot, a lot of people, a lot of people get uh, Ansel Elgort like a lot of crap because, oh, your Tony's so flat. Well, newsflash, Tony's just a flat character. Like he's always the least interesting character in any version of West Side Story. I'm I'm sorry, that's just the truth. And Maria's not that much better, but because her singing is is much more complex, you know she she can you give her some more stuff. You give her some more stuff, and she stands out a lot more. Um, mm. The thing Spielberg does, he he moves things around from the original musical and the original film, so that it feels different enough. I would say the one thing I really didn't the, the one thing that kind of bothered me was that like there's a shocking amount of uh, lens flare in this movie and it sometimes got distracting I was like I was like oh really Spielberg are, are you really pulling a JJ Abrams on us okay I guess although I, I wouldn't say that's Spielberg's fault maybe uh uh, his DP Janusz Kaminski just really likes lens flare, um, but yeah, no, like you watch it and the first thing you think, like, wow, this feels this feels as authentic. This feels like an authentic New York City as opposed to the in the original where you're like, well, this is all done in a soundstage. Even though this mm -hmm. film was also done in a soundstage, um, the musical numbers are amazing. Oh my gosh. Spielberg camera movement with West Side Story choreography, your jaw is always on the floor going like, how do they do this? Oh my gosh. And, but yeah, no, I, I had a ton of fun with this movie. I, I told people I knew like, hey, go watch this. This is a lot of fun. It's on Disney Plus now. So if you, and notably, yeah, I, I can confirm that because you kept telling me to watch it and I kept putting it off. Yeah, no, like, again, I know a lot of people have a, like, hold the uh, the original as, like, one of those movies that should never be remade. Like, like mm -hmm. you don't remake The Godfather, you don't remake West Side Story, you don't you don't remake uh, It's a Wonderful World. You don't, It's a, a Wonderful life. Life. It's a Wonderful Life, I'm sorry. And it's, 
Or like, it's also another example is you don't remake Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. Or Citizen Kane. Yeah, you don't remake Citizen Kane, although people have tried. Uh, no, <laughs> they better, they better not. Right, right. But um, no, it's, this is definitely the best thing Spielberg has done since, since Lincoln. Mm. Um, and the fact that he's discovered, well, um, Alvarez, uh, Fast and, uh, Zegler, well, Zegler, Zegler is like a YouTube star. But uh, Alvarez and Fast are basically were just on Broadway and not and really didn't leave Broadway yet. And obviously, Ariana DeBose was in Hamilton. Um, mm. But these people are now going to be cinema stars. The, we're mm-hmm. going to see them in a ton of stuff. They're going to get Marvel roles. They're going to get DC roles. Uh, shoot. Um, oh, in fact, I think Ariana DeBose has a, a Marvel role already. She's going to be in Craven the Hunter. Oh, um, there you go. But yeah, no, this. This was, the this was a this was a good time in the theaters where I was like, wow, this I'm, I'm seeing Spielberg at the top of his game, and I haven't seen that in like nine years. Um, even though I I did like Ready Player One, but this is leaps and bounds better than Ready Player One. I was drunk when I saw Ready Player One. <laughs> Actually, you remember that because we we drank before, and then I went with a different friend to go see it. And we had to Uber there because we realized driving was that, not an option. That's going to be a story we can tell on a later episode as well. One day. One day. One day. And, um, yeah, uh, West Side Story only won one Oscar. It won uh, Best Supporting Actress for Ariana DeBose. Um, I hope that's how you – if it's DeBose, and I've just been saying – I've been alternating between DeBose and DeBose, I apologize. Like, sometimes I'm like, oh, why do actors have such weird names? But Let's they, – they have the names they were given. All right. Cool. So we've talked about every film that was nominated for Best Picture, and we've talked mm-hmm. about the Oscars they have won in different categories. Um, I would say, and I don't, I, I do believe you've seen this. Uh, one of the few big, big uh, uh, categories that did not get a Best Picture nod was Eyes of Tammy Faye. Uh, starring Jessica Chastain, directed by Michael Showalter. So let's just talk a little bit about it. The Eyes of Tammy Faye is basically a biopic film uh, detailing the years uh, when uh, Tammy Faye Baker was married and started, uh, kind of started this like, this televangelism uh, with her husband, Jim Baker, who, Mm -hmm. who, uh, Sure. They, if I may, they, um, they, they're the reasons. Tele, they are the reason televangelists are the way they are. Yeah. The Seven Hundred Club would not exist without them. Yeah. There's a number of other things like televangelism and the way we see it and the way we viewed it. It is because of them, without a doubt. Yeah. So, so, Coda and The Eyes of Tammy Faye, I believe, are also the two films that won multiple categories. Because Eyes of Tammy Faye won Best Actress and Best Makeup. Mm-hmm. I know. That's correct. It's crazy when you think about it, like, oh, yeah, everyone else only won one. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, so Jim Baker, Tammy Faye Baker, they're televangelists. And it basically details their rise and their fall. Um, it is a very straightforward movie, believe it or not. You know, it has, mm-hmm. a, has a very obvious start, a very obvious middle, a very obvious, like, uh, conflict, uh, 
resolution and ending. Like it's it's it, it's all pretty standard. The the ending to me, by the way, felt more like an an extended epilogue. But maybe that's just yeah me. yeah. No, you're right. You're right. So for those that don't know, um, they they started off doing the uh the what is it the seven hundred club. Uh, well, they the seven hundred club is is the reason it's so big is because of them. It's because of them, yeah, yeah. basically. So and then they they kind of do their own like Christian channel, and Jim Baker begins embezzling money and has a has a like a, a like an alleged sexual assault case thrown against him, where he says it was consensual, but the woman says it was it was rape. And, then, and there's also alleged homosexual relations he had yeah. with another crew member yeah, of yeah. the show. Yeah. It's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of stuff. and It's a lot. I will say this. I loved Andrew Garfield and Tick, Tick, Boom. He's great in it, which, by the way, is another film that isn't really talked about because it just got nominated for Best Actor, I think. But it's a good film. Lin-Manuel Miranda is actually a good good uh, uh, director. Give it a watch. It's on Netflix. But his Jim Baker, oh, my gosh, where... He has this mix of like a sincere preacher, but then kind of this con man used car salesman. You know, he's great in the film. He is, he is. He, he, he is you're watching him and, and you believe that, oh, this guy's Jim Baker, which, hey, bit of trivia. Uh, Jim Baker uh, got out of jail like in the early 2000s, and now he all he preaches about is how the world is ending. Oh, the world's ending now. The world's ending now. The world's ending now. So I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Like, like he has like a like a YouTube or like some sort of like like internet show where he just talks about like oh, and the world's gonna end now because of this, because of that. Like he he's been going crazy ever since uh, the situation in Eastern Europe has been happening. Oh, um, I'm sure. I'm sure every day it's it's <laughs> it's coming. It's, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Um, now, Tammy Faye Baker. Uh, it's, it's, no one knows how much she knew over what was going on. And obviously this film, she knew a little bit, I'm sure, the, but we don't know. We don't know. This film, this film, uh, this film doesn't condemn her as like being complicit in Jim Baker's, uh, scams, but, and fraud because, you know, she's the protagonist, so they're not going to, they're not going to make her a total no. bad guy. Um, but they do show some of her flaws. Like she, she was addicted to pills for a bit. Um, she uh, uh, allegedly attempted an affair, um, and uh, you know she she kind of kind of got wrapped into the good life, you know. And 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 she then, also this is and this isn't her fault. I'm not blaming her for this. She had a lot of work done. Back when plastic surgery hadn't fully achieved, was that plastic um, surgery? Yeah, she got plastic surgery. Oh, you, okay. Wait, wait. You've uh, in the movie she talks about how the line around her lips was like a permanent thing. Oh, and, oh, God. She did. She had a lot of work done to herself. Oh, wow. Like okay, okay. I, I didn't, I didn't realize that was plastic surgery. I just, ugh. Like, listen. So she famously she um. So the lips and the eyes and then and a few other things. She had a hairline, I think. Something else done. She had like a number of surgeries so that basically she had makeup permanently put on her face. She did that. Oh my God. You didn't know? Well, okay. Wait, wait, wait. First of all, the reason why this movie got made was because Jessica Chastain 
saw the movie the through the eyes of, or sorry, the documentary through the eyes of Tammy Faye, which if you haven't seen is an incredible I've heard documentary. It's like leaps and bounds better than this. It is, it is, it is. It's so the movie the mo- the narrative film, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, is good. Like I don't hate it, I don't love it, it's solid. It's a movie at the end of the day. I see why it got nominated for for what it got nominated for. Um, so be it. That's fine. The documentary sh- uh, is really... It truly shows that Tammy Faye was a good person. That she... Tr- or at least okay. she tried to be a good person. Okay. And it also... Because guess what? There's thousands of hours of archive footage of the both of them. Uh-huh. Thousands. Because not just of the all the episodes they did, but there's behind the scenes stuff too. And it's it is a very good documentary. Um I think it, it, it won for best documentary at Sundance, I think. And that's how she saw it years ago. She then quickly bought the rights to it. But it's I do recommend it. It's it's an incredible look at her life. Um oh, no, I'll definitely give it a watch. Um yeah. I I would say that Jessica Chastain does a good job here. Like yeah. she, she's had better but performances, honestly. Here's my thing about that. She she does a good job, but she's just doing a bigger version of what she did in The Help, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. I totally agree. I totally agree so that. It's by that logic it's not bad. It's but it's but also by that logic it's just as good. Mhm. No, no, you're right, you're right. And there, there's not much else to say about this movie. The directing is pretty standard, straightforward. Michael Showalter has done better things. Like, this guy helped create Wet Hot American Summer, and he directed mm-hmm. The Big Sick, which got, um, which basically made uh, Kum- Kumali Nanjiani a star. Uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, that was a fun little movie. I would say, like, if you like The Big Sick and you're interested in kind of that world of televangelism, then yeah, watch the eye of Tammy Faye, the eyes of Tammy Faye. Is it the first feature movie narrative? Sorry, is it the first featured narrative to be made about televangelism? I don't know. I, I wouldn't think so. There's probably tons of other ones. I mean, Hollywood hates yeah. Hollywood hates people like Jerry Faldwell, so I'm shocked yeah. they have. Oh, and there is an HBO show, um, The Righteous Gemstones, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Righteous Gemstones. I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard it's it's quite funny. Um, okay. All right, so. I don't know if you've noticed, C, but all we've really done is talk about the movies that were in the Oscars. We never really talked about the ceremony itself outside of the Will Smith-Chris Rock uh, slap confrontation. And there's a reason why, people. There's a reason why, people. The ceremony itself sucked. (laughs) It was bad. It was so... It was awkward and cringy. Like, I will give credit... Each of the three hosts had one singular funny moment. Literally one. Yeah. And it was genuinely funny. Actually, no, I'm sorry. So Wanda Sykes had more than one because she's a legend, but that's fine. She's she's a good comedian. She's very good. So here's the thing. Amy Schumer had her moment where she came back and asked everybody in the audience what had happened right after Will Smith slapped Chris Rock, which was a good icebreaker. Truly very funny. Um, Wanda Sykes, her whole bit where she's walking around the Academy Museum, the one funny moment that I saw was there's this like mask of some sort of um, 
Orukai from Lord of the Rings, and she goes, "Oh, look, it's Harvey Weinstein." That was fun. Yeah, the, was the whole the whole showing of the museum was 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 funny, and that was the only one where I was like actually laughing. But the ceremony itself, like, ugh, I just I don't understand how these producers just cannot figure out how to make something like listen it's a award ceremony it literally is people reading names and then handing out prizes there's gotta be a way to make this shit compelling like okay the idea of having like three hosts like like and listen regina hall is a fine actress a fine comedic actress but i i don't i she she what did she have to add between the comedic banter between wanda sykes and amy schumer Right. For me, her her bit with with the COVID testing that was her her moment. But then but, the rest of but, it wasn't. But that was her only joke. Was that she's single and she wants to fuck the the actors and the celebrities yeah. that are the male celebrities that are at at the ceremony, which it got old now really the, fast. You know what I do? I will say. You know what I miss about the like the Oscar ceremonies that I watched as a kid. Remember when for a few years they did that thing where the host like walked through. The each nomination. Yeah, yeah, I remember. They, they. I think they. That was fun. I think they even stopped doing that. Like, like even before COVID was a thing. But or even when um when um Hugh Jackman did his year and he did that whole musical number. That oh, was funny. That was fun. That was fun. Um, that was really fun. I, it's like, like a good introduction to it is something that's definitely worth trying again. Uh, you know the one thing I that really really got under my skin. Like I legitimately hated it. It was the, um, it was how like the first third was a DJ, the second third was like this this house band, and then it was the last third where you got the full orchestra, you know, because it's traditionally an orchestra that plays the the music from the films. And At one point, I, I think one of because there were a few of us watching it, someone said. Where's the orchestra? Like, we weren't I sure did. if they were I there. I said that. I said that. Okay, I was you like, said that. I said when there was like, oh, we have a DJ. I'm like, what? What the fuck? Why would you get a yeah. DJ? Oh, and I, it was them trying to be like, oh, well, he's going to play like pop music and that's going to get people watching. It was literally, it was boomers trying to appeal to Zoomers. Really, they were they were jumping over the millennials. They didn't give a fuck. They were just trying to appease the Zoomers. They're like, look, guys. And then how awkward was it when they kept bringing those actors from movies? It was the anniversary of those movies. It was yeah, so that, weird. That, that, okay, so they basically go like, okay, all our presenters were like, are like a, there, there's like these films they're in. Okay, no joke. You know how they talk about like James Bond? They bring up the bet, like the most famous American, Nick's, uh, the most famous American surfer, skateboarder, and snowboarder to present like James Bond, like like a like no, a thing about James no Bond. Sense. That was stupid. You know what you do there? You get Pierce Brosnan, Daniel Craig, and fucking uh, uh, Roger Moore, right? You get those. Yeah. No, he's dead. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, no, you get you get Pierce Brosnan, Daniel Craig, and uh, Timothy Dalton. You get those three there yeah. to 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 do the to to present Wait, the Timothy Dalton's alive. Yes. Oh. Yes, he's in. He's in. Uh, he's in. Um. He's in that DC show. Uh. Uh, I think he died. Uh, fuck. What was it called? Um, Doom Patrol. That's bad. He plays. He, he plays the the original Professor X, uh, the professor in Doom uh, Patrol. Yeah. No. Okay. He's... My bad. Sorry, Timothy Dalton. I thought you died. <laughs> no, no. I, I do think Roger Moore is dead, though. I, I do believe you. No, Roger Moore is dead, okay. and um, Sean Connery's dead. Who died first? John Connery. There's another one. 
Uh, no, 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 no. The, uh, the, the other guy is alive, famously. So. Did you bring him? What's he doing? He's doing nothing. He's literally doing nothing. Yeah. He was at home watching. Oh, my God. Oh, so I will admit, though. So, yes, the Oscars were completely cringy, like more so than. God, were they worse than last year's? Yes. The, That's the hard only, to do. The only thing that made it better was the whole was the whole slap. That was it. Take the slap. I off. don't want to say that made it better. That made it more memorable. Yeah. Okay. That's a much better way to put it. And have have you noticed that since I don't want to praise. That. Have you noticed since 2017 there's always a fuck up at the Oscars? Yeah. That's. Let's not go down that road because then we're gonna invite conspiracies yeah. and. Anyways, but the 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 moments. Okay. Honestly, there were two. Maybe two and a half moments I liked. Like, that genuinely made me happy. And let's ignore, like, me being happy or you being happy for the ones we wanted to win and things like that. Okay. Because you know we're going to be happier. That's going to come with every show. Yeah. Number one, when Anthony Hopkins got the applause he deserved. Yes. For being there. Yes, that was quite good. He walked out, and the fact that he walked out, he just raised his arms, like, just saying hi to everybody, well, and everyone stood up and clapped for him. That was great. Well, yeah, because the father fucks, ladies and gentlemen. That movie will destroy you emotionally. You will <laughs> you will become an alcoholic afterwards, and all because Anthony Hopkins is quite potentially the goat of acting, the currently greatest living actor right now. Well, okay, and I will I will end this divergence by saying this. Alan and I went to see that movie because we felt compelled to, just because it got nominated for Best Picture. We walked out basically saying, "No, you're crying!" <laughs> like it was yeah, rough. Yeah, but um, the uh, and I was sad at this, but I was also like very warmed. So the 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 duo who presented the Best Picture uh, winner was Lady Gaga mm-hmm. and um, and um, oh my gosh, I am not blinking on her name. You better not. Uh, 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 cabaret, uh, New York, New York. Um, oh God, I'm blanking. I'm, I'm, I'm freaking out right now. See, uh, I'm no, I'm gonna let you stew in this. No, no, don't do this to do me. It. No, uh, uh, do it. Do uh, Liza Minnelli. Oh, oh my God, I am so sorry. Wow. So Lady Gaga and Liza Minnelli present the Best Picture uh, nominees and winners. Yes. And oh my God, Liza Minnelli. Apparently, she went. She has a medical. She went through a medical issue. And she, I, I don't want to, I don't want to say what it is because I cannot remember and I don't want to be disrespectful, but she's, she, as a wonderful as a person she is, it's, it has affected her. Yeah. And it was, it was so sad to see like, cause you know, she was actually like struggling to read the teleprompter, but then Lady Gaga gets close to her and says, I got you. And Liza says, I know you do. And I was like, oh, oh, that, that to me was like, that to me was like, like tragedy but also like humanity in the midst of, of something very sad because talk about an actual legend as well my god Liza Minnelli like cabaret wow um New York New York well that, that's a separate episode <laughs> that's a separate episode we, we, that's you, you, you'll, you'll, you'll know once we do the episode why we're we're, we're laughing look folks all I can say is I can't recommend that you see New York New York but if you do just Comment below on what you think. No, no other reason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no other reason. But the other moment I wanted to say that I really liked is when Troy Cutzer, wait, Troy or Tony? Uh, Troy Cutzer. When Troy Cutzer won, not only was that speech like 
gut-wrenching to the point where the man translating for Troy, you could tell he cracked up a bit. No, he was not, sobbing. No, sorry, he was sobbing. He, he got choked up. No, he no, choked he was up sobbing. He, he was sobbing. Yeah. But the other moment that was beautiful is, so the, um, the presenter was the woman who won for Minari. Yes. Um, for the mother, which I don't remember her name, but she's a, she's great. But she did something truly honorable and beautiful. Once she found out who won, she literally signed Troy Kutzer's name to announce that he won. And everyone's like confused for a moment. But then once people realized what was happening, you heard audible gasps about what, of what she was doing. And then also, I think Troy like reacted like in some way. Because he figured out first, because he would figure out first what happened, that he, she was signing his name. And it was such a wonderful, respectful, beautiful moment. I'm, I'm circling back to something just because I'm looking at the, the page for uh, the, the 94th Academy Awards. Earlier I said that it was just Coda and Isaac Tammy Faye that won multiple Oscars that evening. And Dune. And Dune. I'm, I'm such an idiot. I, totally, I even made a comment that Dune was like, Winning all the technical categories, and I go like, "Oh yeah, just Coda and Isaac Tammy Faye uh, won multiple Oscars." No, Dune, and Dune won the most. It was Dune, <laughs> Dune with six, Coda with three, and then Isaac Tammy Faye with two. Everybody else just won one. Um, That's really funny. Yeah, that that is really funny. Uh, but no, that was a but great. But Dune one. won all everything but the big stuff, basically. Well, no, because it didn't get it didn't really get not well. Do you consider cinematography a big? Big, nah, not really. So we got, not, we, I mean, we got nominated it, for cinematography. No, cinematography and editing are are big categories, but they're not like the, they're not like the. the I know yeah, above the yeah, line. Yeah, above the that, That's a better way to put it. But also, it got nominated for best adapted screenplay. Did it? And Denny got a nomination for that. Uh, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I, I, I believe you. Just let me check. Uh, yeah, you're right. John uh, John Spates, Denis Villeneuve, and uh, Eric Roth. Yeah. Which hey. Eric Roth can at least finally say, like, see, guys, I don't just do Forrest Gump and Forrest Gump derivatives. I actually can do... See? Well, look what look I can, at me. Look, look what at I me can now. do. Um, he also, I, I believe it, it was unofficial, but I also believe he... He did write A Star is Born, the, the one Bradley Cooper directed. Yes. But he also, um, he also did rewrites on the uh, on Mank, the... David Venture directed Unofficial. Film. And that's why they couldn't nominate it. Yeah, but he got, he got nominated as producer on that instead for Best Picture. Yes. Um, but anyway, anyway, we're not talking about the 93rd no, Academy no. Awards, 94th. Nope. So yeah, outside of these moments that C and I have talked about, the ceremony was god-awful. It was bad. Like, I, we can both admit we were on our phones for most of it. Especially, oh, special mention. Uh, C, did you end up watching Encanto? No. Okay. So, and, I need to though. I know I need to. Okay. So, uh, the big hit from Encanto, which is the animated Disney movie about this Colombian family, um, the big the big uh, musical hit from Encanto is "We Don't Talk About Bruno." Um, "We Don't Talk About Bruno" did not get nominated for uh, best song. It didn't. Instead, what got nominated was uh, "Dos o Orgu." Orguitas. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote the song. But We Don't Talk About Bruno is the is a big pop hit. So the Academy is like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to add uh, We Don't Talk About Bruno to the program. Great. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Good idea. 
It is so straightforward. Get the cast members who sang the song on stage to perform it. That's it. That's all you need to do. And people... It's not hard, guys. It's not hard. It's not hard. You know what they do instead? They get, <laughs> they get like two or three of the cast members. And then they get Megan the Stallion. And she's not rapping the... So in the song, um, in the song there, is, there is a section that is rapped. Uh, mm-hmm. the, it's it's the, the section where, where the lead's cousin talks to her about the, 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 the stuff Bruno went through. And she's whispering it, but she's also rapping. But Megan Thee Stallion is not rapping that. No, no, no. They basically changed the lyrics to make We Don't Talk About Bruno about the Oscars, about the ceremony. And that's what mm-hmm. Megan Thee Stallion is rapping about. Jesus. It was so panned that it started trending on t- Twitter and people were just shitting on it all over. And I'm like, these producers are idiots. It was a surefire thing. Get the cast from Encanto to sing We Don't Talk About Bruno. What they do instead? Fucking get Megan Thee Stallion to rap about the fucking Oscars. What the? F- oh God, I'm so mad. I, I'm, not, I, I'm not even mad. I'm just like, like, what the fuck is wrong with you people? <laughs> How could you get this so wrong? Like, like, what? Oh my gosh. I, I don't even think Lin Manuel Miranda was at the ceremony. So he was not. Uh, he was not. Like, he was probably doing. He was, he was probably like, after he heard what they were gonna do with We Don't Talk About Rudy, he says, you know what? I, I have better things to do. Um, he must have known he wasn't going to win, even though I thought he was. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, all the all the hype was with uh, with No Time to Die by Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell. Here's how big the hype for that one was, is that people forget they played that one at the previous year's Oscars. Yeah. Well, did they? No, two years ago. Two years oh, ago. Shit. Did they? Yes. Look it up. No. Look it up. Yes, they did. It was either a year or two, the year, last year's or the years before. They famously like played it as like, and coming soon. Well, Eilish said at the 92nd that it was done. No, they performed the song for the 2020 Brit Awards. Not the Oscars. Uh, Not the Oscars. Okay. okay. So correction right there, folks. All right. So, um... Since this is our first episode, and we're going to primarily be a film review podcast, um, let us go through our our uh, grading system for this podcast. All right. So, uh, it's a five-tiered system with a variation between each tier. Basically, uh, you know, we'll say something to the equivalent of, oh, it's a high this, a medium this, or just a low this. So the lowest tier is sucks. A movie sucks. So when we say, so when I say C, what do you think about so and so movie? C will respond with, it sucks. That it is sucks. the worst bottom of the barrel. Like, just just god awfulness. Like, do not spend your money on it. Don't even spend your minutes watching it on Don't a streaming stuff. Don't see do it. Do not watch this movie. You have better things to do with your life. Like. Like getting stabbed in your eyes is a better use of your time than watching that. After sucks, we have meh. This is these are films that. What do you think about this film? Oh, it was meh. Uh, a film that you can halfway watch while you're on your phone, while it's on Netflix or Amazon Prime. Have it on in the background. Have it on on the background. Uh, nothing about it is special. It doesn't stand out. It everything everything is below average. It's. Not a good movie. It's 
not a bad movie, but not a good movie. It's a boring movie. It's meh. And then right in the middle, we have It's a Movie. It does what it does fine. It's not anything, not anything special. Um, it's competent, and there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with it. You watch it during a matinee. Uh, watch it when it finally hits on HBO Max. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can pay attention to it and not feel like you're wasting your time. It's a movie. Um, mm-hmm. And then after that, our second tier, we have it's Flush. 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 That basically means that this is a good movie. It deserves your attention. And you should probably go see it uh, when it, the weekend it opens. Uh, you're going to have a lot of fun with it. And, you know, there's going to be variations to that. It's like a, a flush with low, low numbers means that it's good, but... You know, it's not see it on see it on Saturday good. It's see it on Sunday good. Um, and if it's a really good flush, we'll say maybe we might possibly say it's a royal flush. Yeah, like it's really good. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a royal flush. Um, and then the cream of the crop, the A plus plus plus, is fucks. What do you think about this movie, dude? It fucks. This is a film that you need to see midnight showing. This is a film that does some new shit you haven't seen before or does it in the best way possible. You need to bring as many people along. Yeah, you need to bring as many people as you can. This is a film that that watching it three times is not a waste of money. This is a this is this is this is a film where you're you're not just going to buy it on on your uh, 4K Blu-ray you're going to uh, you're going to try to buy it on the collector's edition 4K Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. And it won't be a waste of money. This is this is as high as we're going to go. Like as high as high as we're going to go. Um, so with that said, now that you guys know our grading system. See, what did you think about the 94th Academy Awards? Sucked. Mm. Mm. Is this a hard suck or like a apathetic suck? Apathetic. It was almost a meh, but it just couldn't be. Yeah. Because here's the thing. I will not say that the slap made it good. It just made it memorable. I don't want to condone. I don't want to like promote that as being like, oh, that was so riveting. It was just shocking. Truly. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. So what did I think about the 94th Academy Awards? Yeah, they sucked. I mean... To, to have, you know, when you want to celebrate film, you want to be exciting, you want it to be about the films themselves, you don't want to try to turn it into some weird, like, like trying to make, like, a viral moment, which, ironically... Which they did. Which they did, but not in, in the worst way possible. Um, but, yeah, no, I... I feel like honestly, the 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 TV the TV presentation of the this ceremony is going the way of the dodo bird. Honestly, if the Academy had any had any foresight, they would just uh, live stream this on YouTube, uh, and you know have skits or something about the films. Mm-hmm. This is this isn't working. ABC, you know, just cancel this shit. It's it's. Uh, this isn't it's good over. for this isn't good for anybody. This is not good for anybody. So that being said, that being said, 
I will always watch the Oscars. We're, we're, we're film nerds. We're compelled to watch this. We, we, like, this to us is, well, I'm also, I'm also a, a giant football fan, so the Super Bowl is my Super Bowl. But this is also my Super Bowl, right? No, this is a very important thing to me. And, and that's what makes this so frustrating is that we'll always watch. But my God, it is such a fucking chore. Because we know people, we have fellow cinephile friends who won't watch it anymore. They've stopped. Yeah, but they're done. Yeah, we we just can't. We just can't. So uh, at the very least, we watched it with the justification of like, let's make let's make our first podcast episode about it. And ironically, yeah. we do it like two weeks later. <laughs> two three weeks later. Um. So yeah. No. So. See, I think this is a good time to end our first episode. We went for almost three hours. Can I also ask you one last question and keep it a brief summary? Sure. What was your favorite movie and why? Brief summary. Oh, and we'll, we'll, we'll always talk about this during some other time, but my favorite film of 2021, and actually they did make a joke about it in the Oscars, was uh, The Last Duel starring uh, Matt Damon, Adam Driver. Um, oh my gosh, I am not blinking on her name. Oh, she's such a great actress. The 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 woman from Killing Eve. Um, oh, yeah. I apologize. I cannot remember her name. Um, okay. But but I thought it was a great movie. I thought, ironically, I thought it was a very good feminist piece. I I I thought Ridley Scott was at the top of his game. Ben Affleck was obviously having fun with the role, and you know, my God, I mean, the story and how it how it unfolds. It's it's just a great like encapsulation of things I love about film, like. Smart writing, yeah. uh, amazing production design, and just top-notch directing. Mm. Go ahead. Okay. My favorite movie of 2021 was... My favorite movie of 2021 without a doubt, was the one and only The Green Knight. That movie blew me away, really astounded me. It took an Arthurian tale and did something unique with it, but also respected the original lore in such an incredible way. Um, What a performance from the lead, truly incredible. Uh, great action sequences, great aesthetic sequences too, beautifully shot, uh, a fantastic production design, um, an ending that will knock your socks off. It's so good, like really, really amazing. When I, so Al and I saw this movie together. You're gonna learn, audience, that we do that a lot. Not every movie, but many movies. Many movies. And when we walked out of this movie. We could not stop talking about it. We, we could not stop talking about it. It, was, it blew us out of the water that it, w- it was so good. And for me, it is my favorite just by what it, just by how a, such an original take on a classic story while being respectful of the material. Yeah. David Lowry, Without a doubt. David Lowry really blew it out of the park, and I'm actually excited for his interpretation of Peter Pan. Um, Which I wasn't before, and now I am. Yeah. So with that, this is the end of our first episode. Um, what do you think with Alan C? Uh, again, uh, this is our first time ever podcasting ever. So we apologize if we stumble along the way. We're learning. We're learning on the fly. 
Um, but we hope you guys join us for more episodes. Uh, we will review some films that came out this weekend. Uh, hopefully those will come out soon-ish. We d I, I did not think we would have so much to talk about for three hours because now we're over the yeah. three hour limit. Um, yeah. But we did. So uh, those reviews will come out soon. And uh, yeah, thank you guys for joining us um, for right now. And uh, we'll see you on our first official review.